Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Well, go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 4. Uh, as Pastor John mentioned in the announcement portion, we'll be looking at a few of the parables of Jesus this morning. I was thinking of, uh, of some examples of parables of how, if you were here last week, and I'll, I'll reiterate it this morning, of how parables, or what the purpose of a parable was. You know, it was, again, to to illuminate and to elicit a response from those who hear. And, and we'll see this morning as we look at parables, the examples that Jesus gives us. And one of them is of something being unveiled or being revealed, exposing, uh, so to speak, the darkness, which we'll see in a moment. But I was thinking of, you know, when you're in a dark room and somebody turns a light on, how that elicits a response, right? Uh, Usually, you turn away from it because it's just so bright and you weren't expecting it. So if you're not expecting a bright light in a room, you turn from it. Uh, you, you turn your back to it, especially if you're sleeping, right? If you remember as a young kid, if your mom was to come in and flip the lights on to wake you up, you would probably turn your back to, the, to her and turn yourself towards the wall. Uh, my mom did, didn't do that. My mom used to sing a song until I probably yelled at her as a really good teenage boy and told her, Mom, can you please not sing anymore so I, I'm going to wake up? Or, you know, sometimes when a light's turned on, you're expecting it, and you're glad that the light got turned on because it helps you find what you were looking for. It illuminated the path where you were going. The only time it didn't elicit a response is if you were dead asleep, right? You didn't know that the light was turned on. Or in the extreme case, if somebody's blind, then they too probably don't know that a light has been turned on. They can't see. And, and think of those three things as we go through this morning's parable. Again, parables, again, are meant to elicit a response. Either a negative one, right? When you hear the parable, you tune it out. You turn from it. You don't listen to it. It has that negative, you have a negative reaction to it. Or the positive one is you're glad. You're, it kind of illuminates the path. It helps you understand what is going on. Just like in the title of this morning's message, Life in the Kingdom, that's what these parables are for, to show us how to live in the kingdom of God. So if a positive reaction will be, okay, great, I'm, I'm getting some understanding. I want to learn more. As opposed to that negative one, when the lights are on, you turn your back. You don't listen. You close your eyes. Or if you are totally indifferent to the parable, that might be a good indication that you are spiritually blind or spiritually dead. You could care less what is being said. And I think outside of those, there's no other way to respond to the parables of Jesus. And again, that's why he gave parables to elicit a response. That was the popular form of speaking or teaching. And so let's go ahead and look at the parables this morning, starting in verse 21. Uh, there are really four, and the first two may not really be considered parables, but they're, 
great examples of something similar to a parable, just depending, I guess, on the commentator that you read or the experts who study these things. And the, uh, the author of the book, Mark, just for those of you that may be interested, these are a collection of Jesus' teachings, I believe, that he's put together in this section to help illuminate what's already been said at the beginning of the chapter. You know, sometimes we read the Gospels and we think, hey, they're in chronological order. And then when you read another Gospel, it seems like, hey, this story is out of place. This, is, this didn't happen like this in Mark, as opposed to Luke or Matthew. But the author of the book, Mark, I believe, has taken different teachings of Jesus with the same subject matter and set them here to help us understand a little bit more about the parables of Jesus. So that's just by way of introduction how some of the books of the Bible were collected. They aren't always chronological order. Just like any book that we read, if you read biographies, they might start off with the the person's life when they were young and then progress, or they might uh, lump it in different stages of their life and not put it in order, or different things that happen. So there's no different for the Gospels. So as we look at the gospel this morning, let's look at the first one. We're going to read just verses 21 through 23 to start. And this is, uh, we'll say, the parable of the lamp. And each of these sections you'll see that we're going to cover starts off with the same word. And he was saying to them. So it's a continuation of Jesus' teachings that we started last week. And it says this in verse 21. And he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a peck measure. Is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? So he starts the question. For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it should come to light. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus begins by giving this example of a lamp. He's saying a lamp, you don't bring a lamp out to cover it whether with a peck measure, which is a, a bucket of some sort that was used to, to measure out dry goods. You know, you wouldn't bring the lamp and then cover it, or you wouldn't put it under the bed to hide it. No, you put it on a stand so that it illuminates the room. That is his parable. It's brought out to illuminate the area that you're in. And then, like last week, Jesus gave an interpretation that we, he, you know, the disciples later came and said, hey, what does that mean? And we're given the interpretation. But in some of these, like in this one, we're not given an interpretation. We're given another saying. And that's what you see in verse 22. He says, for nothing is hidden except to be revealed. He's talking about the lamp. Nor has anything been secret, but that it should come to light. So again, he's, he's saying we don't bring something uh, out to hide it. No, it comes out to be revealed. It comes out to expose a secret. Well, what is he talking about? What is it that has come out to be revealed? And again, we're not told here. But by the way that Mark has assembled these things in, this, in his book, and especially in chapter 4, we're talking, what he's talking about here is really what's being revealed, the kingdom of God, what's being revealed, Jesus Christ's identity to the world, to his disciples. He's revealing the unfolding plan of God, right? Jesus didn't come to this world to be hidden. God's word didn't come to be, you know, buried under something. No, it came out to be revealed. 
It's no longer a secret. God's often considered to be light of the world, right? Jesus is the light of the world. He's come to expose things. And so that's why in, in verse 23, it says, if any man hears this or has ears, let him hear it. Like, if you, if you have spiritual understanding, then listen, right? Again, those who are believers, and we went through this last week a little bit, those who are believers, they will understand this or at least be interested in understanding more about it. They'll want to grow in their walk with God when they hear something like this. It won't just be like, ah, whatever, I don't really understand it, and I don't care. No, they want to know. Right? Those who are non-believers, like we saw in verse 12 of, of last week, earlier in chapter 4, non-believers, they don't perceive these things even though they have ears. Look at verse 12 in chapter 4, just as a, a, remind, a quick reminder. When Jesus was speaking his parable, he says in verse 12, Actually, go back to verse 11. He says, but to those who are outside, meaning unbelievers, those who are outside get everything in parables in order that while they see, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand, lest they return and be forgiven. He's emphasizing that they don't really hear. They don't really see. They're on the outside. That's why they won't turn and be forgiven. A believer, again, in comparison, will seek to understand these things, where a non-believer could care less, or those who are indifferent to the gospel. They will not allow the word of God, as we saw last week, to penetrate their hearts. Remember in the parable of the soils, the seed lands on the side of the road, and right away the birds of the air take it away. It has nowhere to take hold of in their hearts. They're indifferent. And so this is the meaning of this section. Again, he's saying God's truth has come out to be, to expose, to illuminate. And those who want to hear it, they will be excited and receive it. And those who don't, they will turn from it. Like, again, like a light being turned on in your room, you'll turn from it. Or if you're spiritually dead or spiritually blind, you won't even, it will have no effect on you. And you remember last week in verse 13 as well, look at what he said in verse 13 of last week because this is going to lead into the next parable. Jesus told us that understanding the parable of the soils was the key to understanding all parables. He says this, he said this to his disciples, do you not understand this parable and how will you understand all parables? And what he meant by that again was those who are believers, they're going to understand parables. They're going to seek to know them. Those who are not will be indifferent towards them, will turn from them. They won't be transformed by them. And that's why he, it leads to the next section of our text this morning in verses 24 through 25. He says this, And he was saying to them, Take care that you listen to. By, their, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more shall be given you besides. For whoever has an ear, him shall be given more. Excuse me. For whoever has, to him shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away. Again, this is a, 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 like an elaboration on the previous point of, this, of God's light coming out and being hidden. 
Now these people want to know more. Right? The next, this parable emphasizes that point. If you're going to hear, then listen. Take care of what you listen to. Be interested in it. The Lord is saying we have a responsibility to respond to his teachings. Again, take care of what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it shall be measured to you. Those who care to understand them, Jesus is saying more will be given to you. Your spiritual understanding will be opened up even more because you want to listen, because you want to know. And those who don't care, then the Lord will allow that lack of understanding to continue. He'll say, you know what? Even what you do understand, that will be taken away as well. It's a, it's a way of just saying that, you know what? You don't care. Well, guess what? That I'm taking every, that, you know, that I'm not going to let you understand anything. You're going to cement your disbelief. You're going to cement your unbelief. It reminds me of what, um, was, what happened with Pharaoh and also in Romans chapter 1. You guys remember Pharaoh who wouldn't let God's people go out of Egypt? Pharaoh at the very beginning, uh, you, you can look it up later. I'll share it with you because I think this is important. Exodus chapter 5 verse 2. You won't have this come up on the screen. But in Exodus 5 chapter 2, there's a great example of, of God saying, you know what, if you're going to harden your heart against me, then I'm going to further harden your heart and cement your unbelief. And at the very beginning in uh, Exodus 5 verse 2, when Moses was speaking for God, telling Pharaoh to let his people go to worship him, Verse 2 says, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. And then after that, when Moses comes to Pharaoh every other time, it says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart was already hardened. He rejected the Lord. He lacked understanding. And so the Lord said, okay, fine, if that's what you want, I'm going to harden your heart even more. And that also, as I mentioned, reminds me of Romans chapter 1. You could turn there with me as well. Here's another example of somebody's heart being hardened and God allows you to continue in your rebellion against Him. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 21, He says this, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. So here's a person that has an awareness of God of some sort, but they don't honor him and they don't give thanks to God. And it said, instead it says, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of the, and in the form of of corruptible man and of the birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So instead of worshiping God, they worshiped everything else but God. And it says, therefore, because they did this, therefore God gave them over in their lust of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. So again, here's an example of just an expanded view of what Jesus is saying here in these parables 
is that if you've hardened your heart against God, you've resisted God, then, and you continue to do that, then God will allow you to do that, and He'll even help you do that. He'll harden your heart for you. That's why He says, He who does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him. And you have nobody else to blame but yourself. You've rebelled against God, and God is saying, you know what, fine, you want to rebel against me? Then you go ahead. And you push it so far that God turns his back on you and allows you to cement your disbelief and your rebellion against him. And so this is what Jesus is saying here. So again, he's saying, if you hear me, if you, if you take care to listen, then I will give you understanding. I will help you. But if you rebel against me, then I will oppose you. Again, we have the examples of Pharaoh and of all creation in Romans chapter 1. Let's move on to the next parable in verse 26 of Luke chapter 4. And these are parables about the kingdom of God or on the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, when he says this, is, is basically a way of him saying, this is the way the world operates. It operates like this. Or this is how my plan is going to unfold because we are now living in the kingdom of God in one sense. It hasn't been fully consummated. Right? I mean, it hasn't literally and visibly come down yet. But we are now, in one sense, living in the kingdom of God. And so thus we are told how to live in the kingdom of God by way of parables. And look at what he says. Let's read verses 26 to 29. He says this, The kingdom of God is like, so it's a comparison, is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts up and grows, how he himself, and grows, he himself does not know. So he doesn't know how this is happening, is the picture. And the soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop uh, permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So this is a picture of a man. He's comparing it. This is like the kingdom of God. He's saying this is a man who's casting seed. He's casting seed among the soil. And then he just goes to bed and surprisingly wakes up or somewhere down the road, it's grown, it's full grown. He doesn't know how it did it, but it's ready to be harvested and he puts the sickle to it and harvests it. That's the picture. Well, what is he talking about? Again, we're not given an interpretation here like we were last week in some of them. But we can learn a few things from this, right? We learned last week that the seed was the Word of God, right? The Word of God is being spread. So that we have a picture of a man spreading the Word of God. So he's spreading the Word of God, the gospel truth. That's his responsibility, to spread the Word of God. How it grows and how God makes it mature in somebody's life, that's not his responsibility, so just think of that for us. It's, it's we, our responsibility is to sow God's word out into the world, right? Even like me, I'm to proclaim God's word and how it affects each and every one of you, I don't have to worry about. That's not my responsibility. I'm not the one that makes it, you know, sprout up in your hearts. I don't have to, you know, be conniving and use tricks and, you know, wow you up here. 
you know, to try to make you believe, no, that's not my responsibility. I'm not the one that does that. I'm not responsible for conversion. That's up to the Lord. I think this is what the, the parable is saying, right? He just, I just, the person that throws the seed, they just go to bed and wake up, and wow, look what God did. Isn't that like conversion sometimes? How some people, the word of God just gets into them, and, it, and they're transformed, and we don't know how that happened. I mean, if you were to ask people in, in maybe your past or my past, they would have never thought you would have came to the Lord and be transformed by the word of God. We don't know how that happened. Right? That, that guy sat in church and didn't even look like he was ever paying attention. But somehow, God transformed them. The Apostle Paul tells us about such uh, conversion in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Right, Paul was speaking to the church at Corinth who was, they were misappropriating credit to certain teachers. Right, they were giving credit to them instead of to God. Right, they were saying like, well, hey, I follow the teaching of so-and-so and I follow the teaching of this person. And so the Apostle Paul corrects them and then he says in um, verse 4, he says this, for when one says, I am of Paul, so like I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not, are, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. This is what Jesus is saying in the parable to us. It's not the guy that, walk, that throws the seed out that's anything. It is God who does the work in people's hearts. It is God the one, is the one who does the conversion and transforming. Right? We, we don't give credit to preachers or people that disciple you for transforming your life. They were just planting the seed. They were watering, kind of helping you along the way it is God that did the transformation. And it's a reminder to those of us who are out witnessing and sharing that, you know what? It's, it's, we don't have to worry about you know, getting this person into the kingdom. It's, it's God that's going to do the work. You just faithfully serve God. You faithfully be a witness. And it's also a reminder of that, you know what? Be humble about it because it's not you, it's God. It's all God. It's not men. He concludes that parable in verse 29, again by saying, when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The conversion, what he's saying is the conversion will come in the Lord's timing, not ours. Again, the farmer is seen as putting the sickle in at the right time, not too early and not too late. It's harvested, he just goes and collects it. It's, it's God doing the conversion, and it's in the Lord's timing that it happens. So again, in the kingdom of God, for those of us who are believers, it is our responsibility to just go out and sow the seed, be in a witness, and let God do the rest. God will bring it to pass. And for the last parable here, verse, let's go to verse 30, and we'll read through to verse 34. He says this, and he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? 
It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is a small, it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large and forms large branches, so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without parables, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. So in conclusion, in verse, the conclusion of this section, the author reminds us that this wasn't all that Jesus taught, right? The Gospels don't contain everything that Jesus said. It's just some of the things that the author wanted to communicate to those who were reading. And so that's why he says it. He spoke with many such parables. So to the interpretation of this parable of the mustard seed. Again, we're talking about the way the kingdom of God operates. Right? So here's the picture of a, a man or the mustard seed being planted it's been a very small seed, but yet it grows large enough to have large branches and birds to find shade in it. What is going on here? What is the meaning of this parable? <clears throat> well, we see this. Again, this is talking about the kingdom of God, starting off small and then growing to something a lot larger. It's a picture of God's kingdom growing into a forceful kingdom of believers. Many people coming in to be part of the kingdom. I mean, think of the beginning of, the, of, the, uh, of Christianity, starting off very small with 12 apostles. And look what's gone on through world history. This is what he's talking about, this mustard seed, right? Comparing it to the kingdom of God, growing larger and larger. So large that he says it's larger than all the garden plants. And it grows so large that there's large branches and birds of the air can nest under its shade. What is he talking about here? Well, he uses a lot of Old Testament symbolism. If you look in your Bibles, certain, if you've ever noticed, there's some parts of your Bibles where they use, it uses all uh, capital letters. Right? In my Bible, for example, in verse 32, the last sentence is all in capitals, which is usually the uh, translators telling us that this, these words are coming from an Old Testament passage or Old Testament thought. That's what the large caps in your Bibles mean. So these birds that are nesting is something that's taken from the Old Testament. In particular, it's taken, for those of you who want to, to read up more, on Ezekiel 17 and 31 and Daniel 4, where uh, the, the tree is pictured as the kingdom, uh, God's kingdom expanding and overtaking the world's kingdoms, so much so that birds now nest in the kingdom of God or find their shade in the kingdom of God. The world has been affected by the kingdom of God. And again, isn't that true throughout world history that the kingdom of God has grown from a small band of people in Galilee to a worldwide kingdom. Think of the, what we call the church universal. That means all believers from all time. It is probably larger than any kingdom of the world if we were to add up all the believers that have ever existed. 
And because of the believer's faithful witness to God, their faithful devotion to God, the rest of the world has benefit from it, whether they would admit it or not. The rest of our world has benefited from the work of God. They have had God's common grace spread upon them. And that's the main point of this parable. Again, God's kingdom growing. God's kingdom is the focus of this from beginning to end, from small to large. The kingdom of God starts off small and it will grow larger and larger over time. And this also points for us to that victorious consummation of the kingdom of God. When God's kingdom will finally envelop the entire world. I want to turn, uh, turn to Revelation chapter 21. And we'll see this in Revelation 21. Turn to verse 22. So this is the easy book to find because it's the last one in the Bible. Revelation 21, verse 22. Again, and here the, the author is writing about the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, meaning where God exists or where God is. And he says this, And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations, again, all people, the nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory in it. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the final consummation of God's kingdom enveloping the entire world, right? That which started off small, right here as we're reading about it here now in Mark chapter 4, will one day be fully consummated to encapsulate the entire world. All of God's people will be there. That's a great promise to us about God's ultimate victory. Even though there's storms like we sung about and, uh, you know, the storms of life and the sea crashing in around us, we know that in the end, one day, all those things will be gone. Where there will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more crying for all these old things have passed away. God's kingdom will be finally consummated And I believe this is the picture that Jesus is painting for us here in this parable of the mustard seed, that it starts small. God's kingdom is going to start small, but it's going to grow, and it's going to grow, and eventually going to take over the entire world. And so Jesus has given these parables to his disciples and to those who would listen to let them know what it's going to be like in this world and how they're to live in the kingdom of God. And the same holds true for you and me who has an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. How do we respond to these truths about the kingdom of God? So here we hear these parables, and I do my best to elaborate on them. 
But just as I mentioned in the very beginning, parables were given to elicit, to elicit a response of those who would hear them. And so my question to you is, how do you respond to those parables in the kingdom of God? And my first question would be to those who turn from that light. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you hear words, but you're not really capturing what's being said. My prayer for you is that God would soften your hearts. He would open your eyes so that you can really hear what God is saying. And for those of you who are just, you know, also like don't want to receive it, my prayer this morning is that you will turn. You won't turn your back towards him, but you will turn towards him. That you will not let the seed that is sown this morning be taken away, but that you would repent and believe. Right? You don't want to get to that point where you harden your heart, heart so much towards God that he says, fine, if that's what you want, then you can do it. Just go out. Right? Again, in, in Romans chapter 1, God gave them over. There is a point, even in this world, where God gives people over to their lust and to their sins. Sometimes they'll come back, which is the hope and the prayer. Right? That's If you've been in our, um, our uh, membership classes, we, we say that. You know, we do practice church discipline, right? where we, if somebody's in, in willful sin and doesn't want to repent of their sins, and we've talked to them a number of times, that we would cast them out of their church. The church would turn their back on them, so to speak. For what purpose? To say, oh, yeah, we don't want to hang out with you. No, that, so that you will realize, hey, this is serious. It's so serious that the church is closing their doors to me that you would wake up and you would turn and repent and come back to the church. That is a desire. That is God's desire as well. Sometimes God hardens your heart a little bit. He lets you go for a while so that you realize this isn't where I want to be. Why did I turn my back on God? Think of the prodigal son, right? The father let the son go out, gave him what he wanted, and it wasn't until the son found himself, you know, eating with the pigs that he realized, you know what? The servants in my father's house eat better than I do. You know, sometimes God gives, you know, gives us that tough love, right? Sometimes parents have to do that with their own children. They have to let them go to experience the world so that they realize that, you know what? I, I'm doing it wrong. I need to go back. And so all that to say is that this morning, if you're rebelling against the Lord, but you hear him, that I pray that you would turn and repent and believe in him. That would be my prayer this morning. To the rest of us, to those who are illuminated by the light of the gospel, what can we take from these, these parables this morning? Well, number one is this. We should go out and reveal the gospel truth. We should go out and reveal the gospel truth. Again, our job is to go out and sow the seed. That's our responsibility in the kingdom of God, right? We're, we're to light up the world that we inhabit. It's living out the gospel. It's proclaiming the gospel when we have an opportunity. Proclaiming to him as Lord and Savior to those in our world. That's what we're called to do. So we should go out and do that any way that you can. I pray that you would do that. Secondly, how do we live in the kingdom of God? Is to trust in God to work in the lives of those whom we witness to. Again, it is not for us to go out and convert people. We're to go out and spread God's word and trust that God will do the work. 
Again, we just sow the seed and that trust that God will bring that person to the Lord. But we have to go out and sow the seed. That's what we're called to do. Right? Again, it's not up to our genius or our cleverness you know, to bring people to faith, try to trick them into faith. No, you just be faithful. Be faithful in sowing the seed and trust in God. Pray for them. Pray for those people. That's what we need to do more than anything else. Sometimes it's the last thing that we do, right? Praying for people. Pray for those who you witness to. Pray that the Lord will soften their hearts. Pray that the Lord will open their eyes. Pray that the Lord will open their ears so that they will hear what the Lord is saying to them. Pray that God will bring somebody into their life. But trust God to do the work. That's how we live in the kingdom of God. We go out and and reveal the gospel truth. We trust in God for the work. And lastly, and finally, what can we do as we live in the kingdom of God and respond to these truths? Rejoice over the growth of God's kingdom in this world. Rejoice over the growth of God's kingdom in this world. Even now, God is bringing people to him. Today we're going to celebrate um, uh, baptisms, which is evidence that you know, people are saying, you know what, I gave my life to the Lord, and now I'm proclaiming it to the world by being baptized. That's a celebration. We should celebrate that together, be excited about that. Despite what, all the craziness that goes on in this world, God is still on the throne. God is still saving lives. Rejoice over the growth of God's kingdom in this world. And another thing that we can rejoice about is rejoice in the future when God's rule and reign is fully consummated at his second coming. That is our future, church. What I read in Revelation 21, that's our future. One day, I'll say it again, all things are going to be brand new. God is going to visibly rule and reign from the new heavens and the new earth when he you know, just consumes this and makes it all brand new. Nothing else will be there. No, no evil will be there anymore, just as he said in Revelation 21. That is our future. That's something to rejoice over. No matter what happens in this world, we have that future hope. We know what's going to happen. Again, it's like watching your favorite sports team, knowing that you've already know the score of the game, you're watching it on replay. Even though it looks kind of bad, you know, in the future, oh, but they're going to win. How, that's, you know, it's, that's awesome. That's, that's what's happening now. We're going through the kingdom of God, and we know in the end we win. And for those of you who don't know the Lord, that should frighten you. That's the end of the world outside of those non-believers who do not believe the Lord. Again, my plea to you again is that you would turn, and you would repent and believe in the Lord. But again, in conclusion, for the rest of us, those who are illuminated by the light, we should go out and reveal the gospel truth. We should trust in the work of God, in the lives of those around us, and we should rejoice over the growth of God's kingdom in this world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for those of us who believe that you give us understanding. You give us the desire to know you even more. And may we take what we've learned today. May we allow your word to transform our hearts in such a way, Lord God, that we would go out and proclaim your gospel with our lives. That we would proclaim the truths that have set us free. That we would proclaim them to those that we come in contact with. 
as you give us, as you lead us to do so. Lord God, help us also to trust in you to do the work. So many of us have friends and family members who do not know you. And, and we worry that, Lord, will they ever know you? Lord, we don't know how the conversion process works and, and you know, how you ultimately turn somebody's heart, but we trust, Lord, that you will do it. We trust that you know what is best, that you know what is right, and you have the perfect timing. May we just continually and faithfully be a witness to them and pray for them. And Lord God, may we always, no matter what is going on in this world and in our life in particular, may we always rejoice as your kingdom continues to grow and as we look forward to your second coming when we will finally experience true freedom. Again, a place where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, and no more crying. But we will behold you face to face. Because of your faithfulness to us, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So Lord God, help us to keep our eyes focused on you and to trust in you for all things. And thank you, Lord, for giving us eyes to see and ears to hear. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.